Good morning, church. If you are a guest with us, welcome. You are loved. You are loved here. And what we love to do together is that we get to open God's Word. And guess where we're going? Open up your copy of God's Word to James, James chapter 1. As we think about trials, as we think about the storms of life, are you in a storm today? Have you walked in and you're like, my life is a storm. My my life is a trial. I thought it was going to be over by now. I didn't think it was going to last this long. I didn't think it was going to be this hard. And I wonder if you're in the midst of it. You're in the thick of it today. For some of us, we're just coming out of a trial and we're wondering, how did I even survive that? And, and where did that even come from? And I'm so glad it's over. And if you're not in either of those categories, then here's the reality. It's coming soon. If you're not coming out of it and you're not in it, you're about to enter in. None of us are exempt. None of us, no matter how faithful we are following Jesus, part of the plan, part of the way of being a follower is that God would bring storms, God would bring trials, and those trials are purposeful. They have an agenda. And it's not to mess with you. It's not to crush you. It's not to uh, lead you to despair. It's not to uh, lead you towards uh, anxiety. It, it's not to, to have you fall apart. It's actually to build you up. It's not to break you. It's to heal you and bring you and bind you together. And God is doing something in the storms that we can never experience. We can never experience on our own. We can never experience just studying the Bible, just thinking the right thoughts, doing the right things. We are transformed going through the stuff of life. And what do we need more than anything when we're in a trial, when we're going through a storm? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writing this letter to the scattered church that is facing persecution. Many of them are going to die for their faith. They're running for their lives from Jerusalem, and they're going all over the place. They, they have heard about this hope. They have claimed that they've received the hope of the gospel, that they have been born again. But now the testing comes. The refinement process begins. And Pastor James is passionate about his people knowing what is happening to them and what God is trying to produce in them. And last week we looked at this. The call to count it all joy. Consider it joy when you're facing trials. Because you know why the trials come. You know what the agenda is. It's to make you someone that you are not today more like Jesus tomorrow. And then he transitions. And it's not a sharp transition. If you have your copy of God's Word open, we're going to be starting in verse 5. And in verse 5, we see this. It's not, a, it's not a hard left that James is turning here. He's saying if you're going through the stuff of life and you're going through hardship and, and you don't know how much longer you can hang on and you're not sure why, why me, why this, why now, he makes this statement. If anyone lacks wisdom. And I, I kind of laugh when I read that. Because in verse 5, when you're thinking, if, if, turn to your neighbor and ask him, if, 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 how about when? How about, how about every moment when I need wisdom because I, I lack it? Why does he turn to the subject of wisdom? Well, here's the reality. Wisdom is something you don't have, but you desperately need when you need it the most. And when nothing is going the way you expected and the life circumstances are crushing you, you need wisdom. You don't need more knowledge. You don't need more facts. You don't need somebody 
to walk you through and just tell you some cute little verses. And I, I need wisdom. I need not just more information about what's happening. I don't need more knowledge. Knowledge is not bad, but knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Knowledge is theoretical, but wisdom is it's practical. Knowledge fills your mind. Wisdom guides your life. Knowledge is truthful. Wisdom is useful. Knowledge and wis- uh, knowledge provides the information, but wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave, how to live. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. And that's why wisdom has very little to do with your IQ. I I don't know about you, if you've lived more than uh, 10 minutes on this earth, you've met some really, really smart people that are really, really dumb. Have you not? You have met people with an off-the-charts IQ that are absolute idiots, right? Good thing none of those people are here, right? We're talking about those people out there. But as we consider the, the accumulation of knowledge does not lead to a life that has changed, right? We need wisdom. Wisdom is very, very different. Wisdom, here, let's, let's start here. Wisdom is seeing all of life from God's perspective and living accordingly. Wisdom is seeing all of life from God's perspective and living accordingly. Everything in my life, seeing it through the lens of God's Word, God's truth, and not just hearing the Word, but doing it, living it. That's where we're going. Here we go, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, well, number one, if you're taking notes, if I'm going to grow in wisdom, if I'm going to grow in wisdom and joyfully, remember we count it all joy, when we go through trials, if I'm going to remain under these trials joyfully, if I'm going to grow in wisdom, I have to see my need. I don't know about you, but man, I can struggle to see my need for wisdom. I'm not going to pursue something that I don't think I need, correct? If I'm not convinced that I absolutely have to have something, I'm not even browsing for it. It's not even on my mind. But God uses storms. God uses trials to do something powerful. Do you know what He does? He reminds us, you are lacking something that you desperately need. And I have it in abundance. And I want to give it to you, God tells us. We need wisdom, but I have to see my need for it. God won't give you, we said last week, God won't give you more than you can handle as a common phrase. But the reality is, God is always giving us more than we can handle. God is always stretching us beyond our capability. If God only gave us what we could handle, we wouldn't call out for wisdom. We would say, got it. I got this because clearly you know I can handle it. Thank you, God, for just giving me what I'm competent and skilled and I'm excellent at. God's like, I want your whole life to be filled with reminders of you don't have what you need. You don't have what you desperately need. You don't have the wisdom and I'm going to give you the storms, the trials that you are going to be reminded you're desperate. You're desperate. If I could handle it, I wouldn't need wisdom. So trials, I love this. Because we have perspective. Why trials? Why hardship? Here's what trials do. Trials are designed to drive you beyond you. Trials are intended to drive you beyond you. Well, I was comfortable and I felt pretty pretty good and self-esteem up and I felt like I was in my sweet spot. And God's like, you're not trusting me there. You're not growing in wisdom in that place of comfort and ease and predictability Trials are good things. They're, they're a gift. Turn to your neighbor and say they're a gift. They're a gift. Trials are gifts. Not desired gifts. Didn't want it. Didn't ask for it. 
but God knows what He's doing in it. He is wanting to pour out wisdom, but you're not going to ask for wisdom unless you're at a place that you recognize you don't have what you desperately need. Trial is meant to release you from the bondage of self-reliance. I, I don't know when the last time that you came across a story of a self-made man or a self-made woman and you're just like, man, how did they do that? They're so smart, so skilled, so strong. I mean, at such a young age, they were able to accomplish that and do that. And, and man, they are, they're moving way ahead of everybody else. And by the time they're this age, they're going to achieve this. And by the time, and what, what do we do? And especially in America, what do, we, what do we do with people like that? We go, man, what, why didn't I get that? Or I want to live that. Like, that's the dream, right? Like I've always dreamt of achieving what they've achieved. Well, here's the problem. God is not in favor of self-made individuals. He created us to be reliant, to be dependent. And when we are independent of God, living as our own gods, the end of that story does not go well. Agreed? Living a life, even a life that's coveted by others, it doesn't end with well done, good and faithful servant. It ends with, I don't know who you are even if you tried to to live a little bit for me and tag me on to your life and your way and your timing. The self-reliant life is not the life that we're called to live. So hear this. We convince ourselves that we are more righteous than we actually are. We convince ourselves that we have more wisdom than we have. And your weakness, your weakness is not what keeps you from God. Your delusion of strength does. Your weakness is not what's keeping you from God. Your delusion of strength. Because anything that you have, it's not from you. It didn't come from you and it's not for your glory. It's for, it's for another. So why does, why does James start here if you lack wisdom? Because wisdom is the game changer of how you respond and where you are headed in the trial and through the trial and after the trial. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm walking in this morning saying, uh, Put me on the list. I need, I need wisdom. I don't have what it takes. Being in ministry for, for this long, every year, do you know what it does? Every year in ministry doesn't add a level of confidence. Every year in ministry adds a deeper and deeper reality of, why did I sign up for this? I do not have what it takes. And I don't just have what it takes on like an annual basis. There was the big hard stuff. Getting to a place, and I don't know if you've gotten here, where it's like every day, you're like, I can't do this. Why did God place me here? Why is He calling me to stay put here in the place where I feel so insecure and so inadequate, and I feel like I'm being asked questions every single day that I don't have answers for? Do you know how strategic that is? God's like, I need to remind you, not just once in a while, but consistently, you need wisdom and you weren't pre-programmed with it and your IQ doesn't help you out in this situation you need something you don't have so we ask we ask turn your neighbor and say ask tell them ask 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 are you in the habit of asking for wisdom are you recognizing your need and are you calling out we would rather argue and destroy and complain and rebel and indulge and gossip and attack and lie and steal and hurt and drink and smoke and party and spend and self-destruct when life goes bad. Anything but cry out to God. Is that you? That, that, that was my whole life. 
anything but call out to God, anything but surrender to God, anything but ask for help. I will do anything. I will find any kind of cure, any kind of answer anywhere but God. Pride, pride, pride. We would rather turn our own way to get through the trial other than God. We hate dependence. We hate humility. Okay, I'll just speak for myself. I hate dependence. I hate humility. I hate asking for help. Anything but asking God. Anything but confessing, I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. How's that going? If you've been living that life, how's that going? How's that going for you? How far down the road do you get before it's not working, still not working, I'm on solution number 8,436, still not working, still not working, and it's always been this. The first solution is ask. A generous father is eager to give. Ask, ask, ask. If I am to grow in wisdom and joyfully remain under trials, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Number two, I must know my God. I must know my God. I'm not going to ask somebody that I don't know. I'm not assuming that this morning you walked in and that you have a love relationship with God, that you've been walking with Jesus, that He is the boss of your life, that He's the King of your life. I, I don't assume that. Here's the reality. I wouldn't surrender my life to somebody I didn't know either. If you don't know the one true God, of course you're not going to follow Him. Of course you're not going to give your life to Him. If you don't know Him, I'm not going to give my bank account, I'm not going to give uh, the, the key to my car or my house to, to a stranger. And here's the reality. For many of us, we might have even grown up in church, but we don't know the one true God. We might have even read some things, but we still don't know who God actually is. And James, you think James knows who God is? Little refresher, James, half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the same household as Jesus. God in the flesh. Guess who got to watch the God-man grow up every day, right? I don't know if they were bunk buddies. I don't know how many uh, bats to the, to the head that, that James swung at Jesus. I don't know how many times that, that James stole Jesus' lunch money. I don't know how many fights they got into, but it was a one-way fight. One man was swinging, right? I don't know how many times that James thought, I got the answer to this one and was corrected by brother Jesus. And always wrong. And Jesus always doing the right thing. We started this letter with James saying what? I'm the servant of Jesus. I'm a slave of Jesus. If your brother claims to be God and he's not, guess what you don't do? You don't follow him for the rest of your life. Do you know where James is going to end up? James is going to end up as a martyr. He's going to die following his brother. Do you think that Jesus was the real thing? Turn to your neighbor and say, you bet. Let him know. Tell your neighbor. You bet. You bet he was the real deal. Confirmation. Not just somebody writing some stories about a guy that claims to be God. They grew up together. Confirmation. He knew who God was. What, what does verse 5 say? It ends with this, let him ask God. Let him ask God. If you like wisdom, ask, 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 ask God who is really, really stingy and reluctant, but he just might give you some wisdom. Is that what your translation says? If it does, you got a, you got a bad translation, all right? What does it say? Ask God. What is he like? Who is this God you're talking about? The one that gives generously, lavishly, excessively to how many? Just the few, just to his faves. How many, how many, how many? All. Anybody that asks, he's like, I'm ready. I am eager to give. I want to lay it all out. I want to give you what you don't have, God says. That's what he's like. That's what he's like. 
and it will, and it will be given to him. Every say will. Will, guaranteed. So isn't that amazing? In the face of our foolishness, in the face of us responding to the hardship of life the wrong way again and again, okay, don't leave me up here. Am I the only one? Responding to the hard stuff of life the wrong way in the flesh, selfishly, self-indulgent, self-reliant, what does God do? Does He wag His finger? Does He say, get in the corner for a while, okay? Uh, when I'm ready, we'll talk. Does God punish His kids? Does God send them off? What does He do? Even when we rebel, even when we do really stupid stuff, even when we're hurting and we just lose it, even when we go on our path and we wander and we stray, what is God like? The real God, the true God. Do you know what He's like? Eager, ready, generous to lavish on you all the wisdom that you need. Heavenly wisdom. He's excited, more excited than you are about giving it. He wants you to receive it, but you must know Him. You know Him. Your hope is in a, a God of gloriously generous grace. I don't know if you have this in your notes. Wisdom is seeing all of life from God's perspective and living accordingly, but also we believe that wisdom is a person. And His name is? Help me out. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's close. That's close. Keep working on it. His name is Jesus. He is a person. Wisdom personified. Jesus Himself. He is the wisdom we desperately need. He came. He lived a perfectly wise life on your behalf. Because the call on your life is to be wise, to live and obey perfectly. Guess who did that? Jesus did that on your behalf. And that He would wisely lay down His life in eternal wisdom, He would be the substitute. He would lay it all out. And the wisdom of God would be to raise Him from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then give you that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. You have the Holy Spirit in you if you're a follower of Jesus. There is wisdom to God's plan. There is wisdom to be had, and it's found here in, in Jesus. And I, I just wrote down, I should be telling different stories. I should be sharing more stories like I was such a fool. I did it again. A trial came. I responded my way. I did what was right in my, in my own eyes. I thought it would fix it, and it didn't. And God, you gave me a wife that constantly is asking, now is that wise? Is that wise? Is that a wise decision? Do you think that's wise? And I don't know if I've ever said it out loud, but I've probably mumbled it loud enough. Shut up! That, that's, that's typically how I respond to the wisdom question. But God's not done yet. He continues to pursue me even in my foolishness, even in my wandering. And I should be telling more stories like even in my mess up, even in my failure, even when I blew it, all I had to do was turn to Him. And Jesus came to the rescue again. He always does that. He keeps giving wisdom that I, I don't have. I don't know about you, but I think we're really good at telling stories where we're the hero of the story, where things turn out pretty well, uh, where we are we, we take our reputation up a few notches at the end of the story where we like to talk about the things that we overcame and how hard our life was, but man, nothing keeps me down and, and I was able to power through and look what I accomplished. I think we're really good at those stories. But I wonder if, if in the church, God is after writing new stories among His people. Stories of, I failed. I blew it. I can be honest. I can 
open up about all the ways that I have wandered, strayed, rebelled. I was reactionary. I grabbed hold of the reins. I took the wheel myself. I went in the opposite direction. But then God was still gracious. And God poured out wisdom. And He forgave me. Where, where I wonder, are those stories that we would share among the church? God rescued me from me. He rescued me from me. Because God gives what? Generously to all. God is the definition of generosity. Do you know Him? So if you know that He's generous, why don't you call on Him? Right? I don't know what this week is going to bring. I don't know what this next month is going to look like for you. But I wonder after today, you would say, I know who I'm dialing first, not last. I know who I'm crying out to, not when it gets too hard, but at the beginning. I know that I am not meant to live life independently. I am designed by my Maker to live interdependent upon Him and each other. This is the new life. This is the new way. This is where wisdom leads us from a generous God. Because when we don't, here's the hard part. If we get really, really honest, the reason that we don't ask for help from God, and we would never say this out loud, but I know better. I know better than God. I know, or I know what God's going to say. I'm going to try my way first. I'm scared of what God might tell me or might do, or it's too hard, or I don't want to listen. I know better. I know better. I don't know what your famous last words are going to be, but I hope it's not, I thought I knew better. The end. I want my story to continue to tell. He knows better. And I call out for help at the start. Not the end. Not the end. He gives generously, without reproach. Without reproach. The aim of your life is not that someday you're going to wise up, have the answers, and then finally you can be on your own. I, I don't know what your thoughts about the Christian life are, so we can clear, we can clear some of this up. I know I messed up my past, and I know that Jesus is the forgiver, right? He, he, like, he covered all my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. I love that God cleaned everything up, and then somehow, after like week one or year one, we kind of get into this mode. Okay, God, got it from here. Thanks for helping me out back there. Woo! That got messy. That got ugly. Sorry about all that bad stuff, but now that you kind of got me on the right path, if I ever get in a bind, I'll give you a call, but I got it from here. See you in heaven. Good idea or bad idea? Isn't that where we go sometimes? Man, that was a close one. Man, that got really hard. Okay, but I'm good now. I'm good. I got it. And every time we think we got it, do you know what grace looks like? Grace looks like a storm. Grace looks like a trial. Grace looks like the destruction of your hopes and dreams and self-reliance because God cares too much for you to live a delusion that you got this on your own because you never will. You never will. And that's really good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. Because it's such grace. That is grace. That is grace. You become whole, complete. You become lacking in nothing when you remain under crying out for wisdom and a generous God gives. He gives. God will be generous. He will not scold you. God will answer yes every time if you ask in faith. Write this down. Number three. I must ask in faith. I must ask in faith. What does he mean by this? Well, let's look at verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. But, but, everybody say but. Here's what it's hinging on. You gotta ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts, what's the one that kind of asks God, but then, ah, I, thanks God, but I don't, I don't know if you're gonna follow through. I don't know. What is that person like? The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in some of his ways. Is that what your says? Unstable in all. Your whole foundation, being a double-minded man, a double-minded woman, your, your foundation is unstable. He's not saying, if, if you have a little bit of doubt in your mind, then like, prayer doesn't count, God doesn't hear you. Everybody say he's not saying that. He's not talking about like moments of, God, I really need you, but I should probably be able to figure this out on my own. God, I, I know that I got into a bind there, but I'll try to fix it and, and I'll try to make it work out and you'll be really proud of me for all of my efforts. And I have a little bit of doubt. He's not saying any doubt at all. He's saying, if you're going to live a lifestyle where you're constantly, you got, you got legs hanging on each side of the fence. First of all, that's a really uncomfortable position. I don't know if you've ever tried to sit on a fence before. All right, men, you hear me? Okay. It's just bad seating and it's bad lifestyle that I want a foot in the world of I can do this and I'll work really hard and I want the credit and God, I'm desperate for you and I, I need you. The double-minded man, the double-minded woman is one that is constantly living in such a way that God, I know you said, but, and I know I should, but, are, are you there this morning? So first it says, let him ask in faith, no doubting. He's not talking about an intellectual struggle. He's talking about a, literally, this could be not double-minded, but in the Greek, it's actually double-hearted. My affections, my desires are torn in two different directions. I kind of want to please God, kind of want to please myself. I know that I should live God's way, but I kind of want to live my own way. I know I should be dependent, but my heart's like, ah, nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is living that way. The heart. The heart is divided. This is a problem. And as followers of Jesus, we always have conflicting desires, right? I mean, none of us have like graduated from the place of where our, our heart is pure right? all the time. We, we don't live that way. But instability, this unstable lifestyle comes that when God is exposing the foolishness of doing life our way and we're still fighting and we're still making excuses, maybe some of us, we would never say this, but we would look in the mirror and say, I love me and I have a perfect plan for my life. Right? I love me and I have a perfect plan for my life. I know how it's going to play out. I, I got it all figured out. And when God says, uh, no, there's a different path. right? There's a different way. And instead of the disappointment, I need to work on the heart level of what do I really want? Pleasing God or pleasing self? Those are the two options on the shelf. Right, And I'm staring in the grocery aisle at pleasing God, pleasing self. Pleasing God, pleasing self. Which one, which one am I going to grab and take with me? And God says, choose pleasing God as your heart motive, single drive, and watch the rest of your life head in a very different direction, play out so much differently than you ever imagined. And is God giving wisdom to affirm your plan? I, I don't know how many times that I've, I've spent time praying with people and I, I don't know, when you're a pastor, you get a, a unique perspective. It, it's pretty incredible the amount of times of, hey, hey, pastor, could you pray for me? Because I have this awesome plan laid out. Here's my 20-year plan. Um, and I figured like, if you pray over this, then like God will, 
kind of wave a blessing over all the plans that, that I have for my life. Anybody, anybody think that's great? God's not saying, I'm going to give you wisdom for your own selfish agenda. Right? He doesn't say, oh, you want to show up to church occasionally and then live a life that's worldly and self-indulgent? Uh, yeah, just ask for wisdom and God will put a stamp of approval on that. That's not what He's saying. Right? He's saying there is wisdom, there is grace given for those that say, I'm done sitting on the fence. I'm living not for my own claustrophobic kingdom of one. I'm living for the big sky country kingdom of God. There is freedom. There is wisdom found when we say, God, my life is not my own. It's yours. I'm not double-minded. I'm not double-hearted anymore. I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward unified. My heart is unified. But the question is, do you, do you trust Him? Do you trust this generous God? Do you trust the Jesus that gave it all for you? Do you, do you trust Him? Just because you know about Him doesn't mean He's trustworthy in your heart. You obviously have to do business with God about that. You have to deal with, I know a little bit about Him, but I don't know if I can step all the way in. I don't know if I can just jump in. How many have had kids or grandkids and you've been around a pool, I don't know the number of times where you have dad, daddy's in the water, okay, and one of our, one of our kids learning to swim is right, right on the edge, right on the edge of the pool, right? And what does daddy say? Come on, I'm right here. I'm right here. Arms open wide. Just, just jump. And how many, how many just said, well, of course, like I'll just jump right in. Like a big, a big fat zero. Some of you, you, you got some crazies that like you weren't even looking and they like dove on top of your head and they, and they were like swimming like a dolphin ever since. Okay. Most of the time, it's a little bit of like, I'm not even comfortable stepping up to the edge. Nonetheless, I don't know if I can trust you. And it's like, do you know who I am? You know who I am? I mean, I'm, I'm practically the, the Hulk underneath all of this padding and like I can catch you. Okay. All right. Like jump and it, Okay, I know you're my father. I know that you love me. But in this moment, the sense of anxiety and fear is keeping me from actually leaping in and being caught. Do you, do you know what happens years later? This is pretty incredible. Years later, all of a sudden it's like, hey, dad, remember when I was little and you used to say like you would catch me? Well, here I come. Get him out. Right. And they like they just jump in. Why? Because there's been a track record of I jumped. You caught me. I was terrified. Second time, not so bad. 118th time, okay, like you are a little trustworthy. That one time, yeah, you, you dropped me, but yeah, at least you got me out of the water before I drowned, right? There's something about a history of I'm terrified to I'm jumping in and I know daddy's gonna, gonna catch me, right? I don't know where you are right now. And I wonder if some of us have never, we've never even made progress in growing in wisdom and diving into the deep end because we're still kind of on the ledge going, I don't even know if I trust this God. I, I don't have a history with Him. I don't know what He's going to do to my life if I say yes, if I say I'm all in. And we have God's Word over and over again letting us know who this God is. And for all of time, ever since creation, do you know what this God has been doing? He's been catching all that have jumped into his arms perfectly. He has a perfect score that every time someone says, yes, I don't want to be double-minded anymore. I don't want to go back and forth, blown around, tossed around. 
I want my foundation to be sure. I want to be made to be confident in a God that has all wisdom. He has never lost one of them. But I think you have this written down. But this wisdom, God's wisdom, God's wisdom is kingdom wisdom, and it's for those who are loyal to the work of His kingdom. You hear that? God doesn't give wisdom to those that are going to use it selfishly. I'm, I, I kind of want wisdom, and then when I get it, I'm, I'm going to kind of go do my own thing. God is giving kingdom wisdom to those that are actually going to use it for His kingdom, in His kingdom. I don't know what you're doing with what God has given you. Some of us, we've been given amazing abilities. We've been given intellect. We've been given skills that we have a network of people that we can influence. And what are we doing with all of that? Is it kingdom work? Is it for His glory alone, not not for mine? It's spreading the reputation of another, namely Jesus, not my reputation in their eyes. God is giving wisdom, but it's for His purpose, His agenda. You see in verse verse 6, as we think about this purpose of Asking in faith. I just wrote down a a few points of what does it look like to not respond by faith when the storms come? If you want to take notes, when storms come, how do I respond? How do I respond? Number one, some of us, we kind of go this way. We go the way of, I fight. I, I go into, I got this. God, I don't need you. If it gets really bad, I'll call upon you. But when the hard stuff comes, you kind of go into, Rambo mode of I'm I'm gonna make this happen on my own. I got this. I got this. Hashtag I got this. For some of us, you're like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a fighter. Okay. Possibly you're a runner. Flight. I must run right now. I must escape. Uh, I have to get out of here. It's too hard. This isn't what I signed up for. And instead of remaining under, instead of steadfastness, we book it because that's what we know. It's instinctive. If life doesn't go my way, if God asks too much, if I know the right thing, but I just don't feel like it, if something better comes up, I just, I run to that. I run away from God instead of running to Him. That's how I respond when life gets hard. But for some of us, man, it's just straight up fright. It's fright. Hashtag, I need Xanax. Life is so hard, so overwhelming. I can't handle it on my own. God is offering infinite wisdom. I'm saying no to God. And I'm saying yes to all the anxiety, all the insecurity, all the doubt, all the fear, and I'm letting it lead the way. The engine of my life is anxiety instead of a rescuer, a savior that generously gives wisdom. And for some of us, we kind of experience all three in one week. I don't know what your past week was like, but you went like one, three, two, one, two, three. I, I don't know. You bounced all over the place. But here's here's number four, and here's the the place that the single-minded, the single-hearted, we get here. Faith. I choose faith. I choose to run to Jesus, not from Him. And I can say confidently, God's got this. God's got this. I'm trusting in Him. Is that where you're at? Double-minded, unstable in all His ways. But here's the good news. God's giving grace that you would be made single-minded, stable in all of your ways. That's the life that's being offered. The life of faith is single-hearted, single-minded, stable. Does that mean all the bad stuff goes away? Shake your head. Does that mean it gets, it gets all better when I start trusting in Jesus? Oh, whoa! 
Kelly. Nope. In fact, what happens? My heart is steady. My mind is steady. My feet are stable, standing on Jesus. And all hell breaks loose. And what happens to my faith? It doesn't move. I grow in my confidence that Daddy is going to catch me. I'm in His arms, even if everything falls apart, even if all the plans, all the expectations, I'm different. I'm not blown around. My life is not crumbling. And I asked last week, do you know somebody like that? That is rock solid no matter what. That their faith is evident when life is hard. And you go, they have something that I don't. Well, here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, they have exactly what you have. Access to a generous, wise Father. They have access to what you have access to. A rock-solid place to put your feet stable. They have exactly what you have. A faith, but a faith that needs to grow. It needs to be developed. All of us should be pursuing this kind of growth and maturity in our faith. As a worship team comes, we just want to close with this. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go, here we go. There's faith work to do. There's faith work to do. What's the work for me this week? What's the work that has to be done? These last two points, I think, are going to be so incredibly helpful for us. We don't work for our faith. We don't work to achieve salvation. But if you are a Christ follower, if you have experienced the new birth, you've been born again, that you have a faith that needs to work itself out. When you said yes to Jesus, it was the gun at the starting line. It wasn't the finish line. And here's faith working out. This week, here's the commitment. I will eagerly ask. I will eagerly ask. I will eagerly ask knowing God loves to give. And this, I will commit to God's kingdom and receive His wisdom. I, I will commit to God's wisdom and receive His wisdom. His kingdom is my priority. His wisdom I get to receive.